Dave Lubison, an executive in residence at the Selinger School of Business and Management at Loyola University, Maryland. And it's my privilege to facilitate this conversation between Rizwan Mamoudi of Wells Fargo and Jose Trinidad Lopez Comacho, one of our students here at Loyola. And uh, we're gonna be talking about banking today. And uh, the purpose of this series that we've been recording as a sit down with Selinger uh, is really designed to give students the opportunity to hear what successful people in business are saying about what they should be doing in their careers, how they should be preparing themselves, and what's going on in certain industries that might be of interest to them. So with that, uh, Rizwan, thank you very much for joining us today. Would you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and some of the things that uh, you do in your role with Wells Fargo? Sure. Uh, thank you for having me, uh, and uh, great to meet you, Jose. Um, so my name is Rizwan Mamoudi, as Dave said. Uh, I have been, uh, I'm currently working for Wells Fargo uh, in their structured finance department, uh, and I lead a team of developers, um, uh, some that are in states across different locations, uh, as well as work with a team that's out in India that supports our operations. Um, over my career, uh, which I guess started back in 2005, so almost 16 years now, uh, I started off at Chevy Chase Bank, which is now Capital One, um, as a teller, um, and then kind of grew out of that and moved on to as as I was doing that job when as um, during my college years. Um, and once I graduated, there was uh, kind of a plethora of opportunities of uh, which direction I wanted to go in within banking. Um, so Wells was the choice that I made. And I'm, you know, very happy with that choice because over the last um, 15 years, uh, I joined Wells in 2006. Over the last 15 years, I've had various different opportunities um, to play in different roles and uh, uh, different projects uh, as well as different products um, that have really helped me grow as a, as a team member, as a leader, and um, given me a wide, a wide variety of different um, uh, options for the future. That's great, Rizwan. And, and if I could just ask, uh, for those of us who may not be clear with what that is, when you say you're in, in the area of structured finance, what, what exactly does that entail? Uh, so structured finance, um, most people can relate to uh, obviously their homes that they live in, right? So all of us go to a bank to get a mortgage for our house. Um, at some point, uh, the way the, the, the general framework works is the, the banks then sell these uh, mortgages off to investors. And uh, these mortgages are packaged into a security. Uh, so a more, our, our residential mortgage-backed security or same thing in the commercial space, the commercial mortgage-backed security. Um, and so they're structured into a, a product which is then sold to investors. And then there's a series of um, you know, uh, more senior notes or junior notes that the investors that are taking more risk or less risk um, by uh, different positions in that deal. Wonderful, that sounds like a, uh, a lot of responsibility. I mean, you're basically, uh, um, basically kind of dealing with what, you know, what, what people have put their, you know, kind of lock, stock and barrel in, right? Until yeah, home. and there's various different roles in even, and this is a niche within the larger field of um, banking, right? So uh, even within this niche, there's various different roles. So there's the front end role of kind of creating the, uh, or the absolute front end of selling the mortgages to the, the buyer, the homeowner, right? And then there's the front end also of the deal, um, kind of structuring the deal and putting the deal together and finding the investors. Um, so my role and where I've been in my career is kind of more after the closing date, uh, where things then get passed on to, from uh, the investors and, and uh, the, the issuer kind of 
uh, and the underwriter kind of come together and everyone's agreed on uh, different structures and positions within the deal. And once they've sold it off, then uh, it comes to our side of the world where corporate trust services as one of the players that steps in to play trustee services on these deals for the life of the deal. Um, so corporate trust is the division of Wells Fargo that I'm in, I'm in um, currently and have been the last 15 years. Oh, that's fascinating. Thank you very much for that background. And yeah. uh, sounds like you're doing a tremendous job. Certainly, it uh, sounds like there's a, a lot of uh, responsibility, but also a lot of interesting challenges that you we, we have. Um, since fintech companies have been, um, or there has been a greater amount of them um, being founded, how my bank relationships change or the work environment change in the future with such new financial technologies? Um, so when we think about fintech companies, so just for everyone's benefit um, that may be listening, so uh, these are companies like PayPal or Square or when Venmo or, or, or Cash App, right? So they're kind of, they don't have the brick and mortar presence. They're more online-based um, uh, financial services um, that are out there. Um, so I feel like they complement each other in a way, right? So at some point, you're always going to need a brick and mortar store. Um, but the fintech companies are also challenging the big players that are out there of upping their game on the technology side, right? So whether it be technology to process things faster, or if you put a home, home loan application in and that, you know, streamlines through the whole process and there's less manual input that you have to do and it connects to your bank account and your credit cards and your credit report and pulls everything in automatically versus you have to provide everything, right? So um, it's it's really kind of the fintech companies, I think, are challenging the big banks that are there, that have been there to really up their technology game. But at the same token, I feel like the big banks have a presence from the brick and mortar perspective that is necessary that the fintech companies just don't have. So there's a good relationship where I personally will say, like, I work for Wells Fargo, I have a bank with Wells Fargo, I have a credit card with Wells Fargo, my mortgage is called Wells Fargo, but I also do still use PayPal and Square and Cash App and other things, right? So, um, and and I think, uh, you know, so the, these companies, I feel like they, they may have more of a good relationship going forward where one is challenging the other to kind of continuously upping their game. What I do see kind of potentially as a casualty, and there's a lot that's been written about this already is potentially the smaller banks or the community banks that don't have as much capital, right? Um, to compete at that level, to invest in technology that much. They potentially could be the ones that suffer um, with, with this competition that would be going on with the big banks and the fintechs that are out there. Oh, and um, kind of a follow-up question. Um, so what are the main changes that you would see happening to brick and mortar uh, locations with uh, new fintech companies? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the banks have already been doing this where they're reducing the number of stores that they have out there, the branches that they have out there. So there, there will be consolidation, right? So you won't see a branch at every corner. Maybe, you know, if, if in a bigger town, you may see a few instead of a few on every street, right? So um, like even where I live, um, I know it, like within five minutes of me, not even, there's like three or four Bank of America locations, right? At some point there will be consolidation and, and that's consolidated since probably 10 years ago. 10 years ago, there used to be more, right? Um, so, and, and I could say the same, you pick your big bank and you could say the same about any of them. Um, it, 
over time, and this has been happening over the last five or 10 years, they've slowly been consolidating some locations in into a bigger branch in, in, in that area. Um, and we'll probably see more and more of that as consumers lead, need less and less of the, the, the traditional brick and mortar banking. Like, you know, if you look at the number of people that used to cash their check on a Friday 20 years ago versus the number of people that take their check to a bank today, it, it's a drastic reduction, right? So if you have the number of people that are going to a branch is redu reducing, then similarly over time, you're going to need less you know, staff that's serving those customers from a branch perspective, whether it be tellers or relationship managers or so on and so forth, um, you don't need as many of them. And the customer, if the, if a consumer only needs to go maybe once every few months to a banking banking location, I may not mind driving 10 minutes, right? As opposed to if I was going every Friday, I want something that's like within, you know, a few minutes of my house. Um, so I think the consumers, there, there's a trade-off. The less I need to use it, the more I'm willing to kind of uh, go a little out of the way for it. You know, if, if I can uh, interject something yeah. here, I didn't realize this over the weekend. I uh, actually went to my bank. I live in Northern Virginia and it's SunTrust, which will be or is in the process of becoming Truist. And I hadn't been to that branch in probably a year. And when I walked in, I found out that it was both a SunTrust and a BB&T branch. They had the teller, the teller counter uh sort of split in two and you just said which one you're going on and you got handled by different people so so yeah. it um it, what that suggested to me is that there's actually a lot of creativity going on in your industry uh, yeah. that maybe we don't see because we think of banking as being sort of this traditional sort of thing is that is that reasonable yeah i, I think um Capital One, if I'm remembering correctly, was the one who introduced the idea of like Capital One cafes, right? So they were trying to combine the idea of like a Starbucks and a bank, right? So which is like you come and hang out at this place and the bank is just there in the background if you need it type of thing. Um, so if I'm remembering correctly, it was Capital One. But yeah, I think I think different, um, you know, if you again go back a decade or two, there was a lot of open a small branch within a grocery store, right? So that's where I started when I was a uh, Chevy Chase at the time, that which is now Capital One, they used to be in in like a giant store. Every giant store would have a cap, uh, Chevy Chase bank. I think now um, SunTrust has taken uh, in location in the giant stores that are in in this in this area. Um, but so they, they've kind of been evolving to meet the customers of where they are, right? So now that less and less people are, you know, you can either order your groceries through Amazon or, or have giant deliver it, less people are going to the grocery stores even, right, over time. So um, I think we're, we're just seeing that, that now it's really that third place, right? So that's what Capital One with the cafes is trying to go, go for is that third place idea of someplace between home and work. If you're going to hang out at a coffee store and make it a, a, that type of environment, it's we're there for you. And we're, we'll meet you when when you need it, right? So if you're if you're kind of there sitting and you have an idea of or something that you may need financing for, it's like okay, there's someone in the background I can go talk to. Um, so it, there's certainly, <coughs> excuse me, there's certainly innovation um, on on that end, but there there's also a lot of innovation on the uh, or investment on the technology front, right? So um, majority um, uh, again, if you look 10, 20 years ago and um, don't quote me on these stats, but probably more people were banking on, on using uh, what there, there, there was a transition from traditional in-person banking to then online banking on PCs, right? And now most people bank through their phone, 
right? So there's been a consistent evolution there as well. So it's, I think it's, you have to continue to meet people where they are and how they want to be met and uh, be flexible and be, it should be convenient for the consumer, right? So that's really, as long as you can get a mix of that, you can get the consumer. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Um, that is all the questions I have. Actually, if I could ask sort of a follow-up on that. Thank, thank you, Jose. Um, you know, I know we've, we've had some conversations, Rizwan, about uh, some of the skills that students should be cultivating. And I know we, we, can, we talk about some of the general skills like communication skills and critical thinking skills and team building skills and those kinds of things. Um, but you and I have also had, you know, occasional where we've talked about things like data analytical skills and things like that. Um, you know, given that banking is um, broad, but also becoming certainly more technically driven in many ways, what are some of the, I'll call them more technical types of skills you would advise students to think about at least beginning to develop uh, so that they can either become more attractive to the banking sector or when they start, you know, have more opportunity, hit the ground running, whatever, whatever term you want to use. What, what, any thoughts on that, please? Yeah, um, to, uh, this is something we talk about a lot, especially when we look into hiring, right? And this fits in very well for somebody that may be graduating in, in terms of skills that employers look for, right? So, um, you know, as, as we talked about, whether it's with fintechs or whether with it's, you know, big banks that are trying to get more efficient with things, um, Technology is playing a role that I feel like technology in the past used to be like, okay, I'm going into IT, right? So then if, because I'm going into IT, I need to learn whether it's um, programming or whether it's, you know, it, it, some sort of Network uh, management language. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like technology is just becoming another language that you need to know. I'm not gonna say it's at the, the level of English, right? <laughs> but it's get, becoming another language that you need to know um, where if you're well-versed in technology and potentially have picked up a programming language or two, right? Um, then you can go into a, a, a situation, encounter a problem and say, hey, I have a very creative way of how we can solve this problem. So you, you're not necessarily on the technology side of the world, you're on the business side of the world, but you can still use program, programming languages um, on the business side of the world. Like for example, um, we, we have um, uh, in our group, uh, team members who are, uh, and Excel is one of those languages, one, one of those programs that, that everyone uses, but it wasn't really till I got in finance and I would say even after 16, 15 years of being at Wells, I would not call myself an expert at Excel. There is so much that you can do with Excel and it's just an endless opportunities. And every time you find a new formula, it's like, wow, I, I didn't know I could do that. Um, you know, um, so they're, they're like getting, uh, getting into um, uh, VBA coding or SQL or picking up different languages, um, uh, whether it be Python or C or C plus, or, you know, pick your favorite language that, uh, you know, um, that you like most or it draws your attention most. You really don't have to become an expert at it, um, but if you could get well versed in it to a point where you could solve a problem, right? Um, if you could solve a problem, and then and know enough about it to then continue learning, right? So I will be the first to say that there's many times where I've encountered an issue and I Google it, right? There's 
there's no harm in that. There, I mean, there, it's like an encyclopedia at your fingertips, right? So, but as long as you know what to look for, right? So then you can start looking for things. Um, and you'll find that there's a huge community out there on various networks that are like, hey, I've encountered this, this whether it be Reddit or any other, uh, you know, um, things that may be out there where they're like, yeah, I, I encountered this situation. Here's I solved it. Here's the keywords that I used, et cetera. Um, but it's really in that drive for what automation uh, and improvement and efficiency, you're going to need to use some sort of technical skills to get ahead, right? So uh, I would strongly encourage um, folks to um, pick up a language or two um, that, that, that um, kind of speaks to you. And once you pick one up, really, it's very easy to go from one to the other, because then you, it's, it's less of uh, it's it's more about just learning the differences and nuances and the keywords from one language to the next, but you've got the uh, the mindset down, right? So um, and when when we when we really look into someone that is, for example, coming in with some sort of uh, a programming language that they know, like an ideal candidate that sometimes I see is like, for example, a person that has a finance background. And maybe have might have a minor in computer science or may do some sort of like hey i built a website on my free time just because i wanted to do something right or um i built a program uh with something just because uh, i was trying to solve a problem and and maybe this was part of my uh one of my um college courses or my my senior projects or whatnot but it's really that that really opens up your mindset of okay if 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 your program doesn't work for example like you have to uh, problem solve of what's not working. You have to debug back into it, right? And and find that code that's broken and find a way to solve it. So um, it it really shows when someone has done that, that they have the problem solving skills, um, that they are creative and creating solutions, um, that they can potentially work on their own. They can be independent, right? And obviously they're technical, right? So all of those kind of you start to check those boxes automatically as once you pick up some of those skills. Um, so I, I would say uh, I, I personally see that as something that everyone should hone as a skill on the side. And I would say regardless of whether you're in banking or really any other um, industry, that's just where things are going. Uh, we talked about fintechs, for example, most jobs that are going to open up in fintech sort of companies are not going to be your teller jobs, right? That they don't have that. They're serving, uh, uh, they're, 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 they're kind of technology first, finance second, right? So, um, so for those sort of firms, for example, for anyone in the future that wants to go in those firms, it, it'll be important or it will give you a leg up if you have um, uh, some of that background. And, and I don't think it's something that has to be done in class. Uh, I think you can easily pick that up on the side. Uh, you can build a database and, and uh, for fun rather than, doing it only for a, a class project, right? So um, like sometimes we, we try to give just uh, creative examples to, to team members and, or potential candidates in an interview. Um, and sometimes we'll say like, okay, assume we're a nonprofit, right? And we get donations come in at random times. I wanna know the fifth time that Dave donated something. How would you solve that for us? And what, what language or platform would you do that in, right? So it's technically a finance, solution, right? I'm trying to find a fifth time that a, a customer or a donor, you know, made a transaction, but I may need to use technology to get there, right? Mm -hmm. And if I have someone that just comes in with the business skills and no technological skills, 
they may say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to count down the row of Excels and find the fifth time that Dave's name is there, but that might not be the most efficient way if you want to do that hundreds of times. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I, I was thinking as you were talking, you know, a, a lot of our students, you know, will take a course in Excel or something like that, but they're, they're not really using Excel. I mean, they don't appreciate the power of macros. They don't appreciate mm -hmm. the level of integration it has where you can drive word documents and all the other things that you can do. And, and I was also thinking, you know, uh, to, to solve some of the problems that I had encountered when we were doing research, uh, ended up teaching myself R, which is a programming language akin to Python and all that. And what I found that it was really amazing, and, and I think this kind of speaks to your point, the last thing you said, which was, well, if you have to do it a thousand times, you know, the, the fact that you can create something that then creates as a routine that you don't have to replicate every time you do it, frees you up to do something else. And, exactly. and it also gives you a... Uh, a systems approach to how to address problems. You mentioned critical thinking, and I think it, I think it does that, you know, from a systems perspective. So, you know, that's the kind of thing organizations and banks or organizations, I think, benefit from, right? The fact that you right. can look at a system, come up with a better process, and implement that. Right. Good. And 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 risk and control is on the top of, uh, you know, anywhere you go in banking, that will be one of the goals that will always be out there that we always need to ensure that our risk is uh you know we're we're all risk managers and we're controlling things properly and, and the more you can automate things the more you can put systems around them the more you can structure them the the more your risk is controlled right so um that is that is certainly on the top of uh, most uh executives in the banking world so so this has been great so uh jose and rizwan i want to thank you very much for giving us your time, giving us your thoughts, uh, kind of helping us better understand this industry and some of the opportunities that lie in this industry. So I wish you guys a, a great evening. And uh, again, thank you very much for, for participating in this. Thank you Thanks very much. for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.